Father in heaven, we just want to thank you so much for this day and the privilege of being able to be here at camp meeting. And as we are here in this room today, we just ask for your spirit to be here in a powerful way. We know that the devil is attacking our homes and our families and our marriages. Um, some in here are not married, but um, would like to be someday. And so as Pat and Tammy share, we just ask that you will speak through them in a powerful way, that your principles for relationships will come through clearly. And Lord, we um, just want to pray for each person here in this room that you will be with them in their relationships, in their homes and in their families. And um, we just thank you so much for marriage. We thank you for family. And we thank you for um, just showing us how much you love us through that, that um, relationship and how you want us to have that kind of relationship with you. So today, as Pat and Tammy share, we just ask for your presence in a powerful way. And we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, good afternoon, everybody. Good to see you. Let's see, you push that button. We are going to be talking about relationship revival. And uh, the title uh, actually came from my wife because we wanted to combine uh principles of marriage and we all wanted to definitely combine God with it. Amen? Amen. Because all of us know that marriage is severely under attack. And I just don't know how anybody could stay together without uh, a relationship with God. And I know some people seem to do, do it without God, but we have an advantage as Christians because we can call on the Almighty to help us in our relationships, and we can have this relationship revival. Mm -hmm. And so uh, that was a good title, sweetheart. We, I've been in training for almost 34 years. <laughs> got married in uh, 82, and uh, oh, I, I would do it over again. We were best friends, and um, uh, we've had to, we've had our moments in life. Don't get me wrong; everybody has a good, fight, a good fight every now and then, um, but. Um, We've had a few knockdown drag outs. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure who's been in training, though, you or me. Yeah. Do you think both. you have been? Both of us. I'm sure both of us. <laughs> I'm going to remember that. Yeah, that's right. Both I'm going to say, this is a training moment. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So we're just glad to be with you and share some uh, principles from God's Word and, um, and just life. Yes. Yeah. The, tool, the, the, back, the tools from the backpack of life. First of all, prioritizing the most important things. This is the subject for today is... Um, are you all in? Are you all in? And uh, how to, how to divorce-proof your marriage? You know, one of the things that we like to talk about is that when, when you go through life and you go through your marriage relationship, I think revival is an appropriate term because all of us at times really need our relationships, our current relationships to be revitalized. And how can we do that? What are some ways that we can do that? Every single person in this room can do that. You can totally infuse your marriage by God's grace with new and, and, and revived energy. And we want to talk about that. And one of the things that, as my husband mentioned, is are we all in? 
I think sometimes we, without realizing it, maybe even subconsciously, we have one foot in and one foot out. Not necessarily, some of us, because we're not sure if this is going to work and maybe we need a, an escape route, but the other of us, honestly, just maybe, you know, I'm in so far, but I'm not in 100% because I have to guard my heart. So this week, we're going to be talking about a lot of those things. How do we navigate those kinds of situations where maybe we don't feel that safe in our relationships? Why don't you read that quote, honey, and comment on it? Well, it says here, um, this is a, a quote from um, a lady who's written a wonderful book. She said, I used to want the perfect marriage, and it drove me to distraction because marriage is never perfect. The more I learned to find my satisfaction in God, the more satisfied I became with my husband and my marriage. And what we have found is that if I'm looking to my husband to make me happy, I'm not going to be happy. Because really and truly happiness, that true satisfaction, that peace that we have in our life, that joy that we have, comes from our relationship with Jesus first. And when I first got married, I remember my husband used to say things to me like this. He'd say, honey, now it's so important that you love God more than me. I thought, I don't know if that's possible. I loved you so much, still do, but I could have eaten you up. In fact, I remember sitting on the couch by you really, yeah, really close yeah, and you asking yeah. me to scoot over. Yeah, I remember that. Why is that? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> because he just kind of felt smothered. Yeah. But the point is, in order to have that, that really, to be able to be that safe place and to have that joy and to be able to bring to your marriage and your relationship what you really want, you have to have that connection with Jesus Christ. Also, uh, sometimes, hopefully not in any couple out here, but sometimes one spouse, one spouse is actually maybe more committed to God than the other. One spouse is praying harder for the other. Um, and, and even though this is for wives, it can be also for husbands. Your wife may be struggling in her relationship with, with God. Maybe your husband is struggling with his relationship with God. But 1 Peter 3, 1 says, in the same way you wives, or you could say husbands too, be submissive to your own husbands so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. In other words, um, one to, I'll tell you a story, a true story about, about an evangelist. His name was K.S. Wiggins. And he was on one of the islands. He, he was in the area of Barbados and Trinidad and the Virgin Islands. And he was going from island to island uh, doing evangelistic meetings. And this one lady came to him and said during the pre-preparation evangelistic meetings that they were praying for the islanders and all their people. She said, oh, Pastor Wiggins, pray for my husband. Oh, he's such a scoundrel. And he won't come to church and he won't pray with me and he won't read his Bible. And oh, he's just a scoundrel. Well, Pastor Wiggins found out that word had gotten out to him that the people at, that, at the local Adventist church were praying for him because he was such a scoundrel. Now, do you think a guy like that would ever want to darken the door of that church? I don't think so. And so Pastor Wiggins, he found that out. So he said to her, listen, you've tried it your way and it hasn't worked. Let's try it God's way. And she, so she said, what's that? And he said, well, what, what is your husband? What does he enjoy eating? Well, he likes cake. Well, what kind of cake? Well, German chocolate. 
well, I want you to go home. I want you to make him uh, the best German chocolate cake. And when he comes in, he'll smell the aroma. And he'll say, honey, what is in the oven? I made your favorite cake. And then when he comes in, you tell him, sweetheart, sit down. I want to take your shoes off. I want to rub your feet. She said, if I did that, the man would faint. <laughs> and she said, he said, well, let him faint. And uh, so, he said, so she said, well, I've tried everything else. So she made him the cake. She was just, you know, really treating him like a, like a king. And uh, one day, about in the middle of the evangelistic meetings, she saw, a, a, Pastor Wiggins saw her strolling down the aisle with a man in her arms, and he thought to himself, I'll bet that's her husband. I hope that's her husband. <laughs> and so he said that she was just bubbling over like Alka-Seltzer, just bubbling, you know. And so he went up to, to the man, the, the, the evangelist Wiggins went up to the man, and he said, um, what, what made you decide to start coming to church, to the evangelistic meetings? And he said, listen, sir, I don't know what you're preaching in these evangelistic meetings, but whatever it is, it's changed my wife. <laughs> you know? And so that's kind of the principle of First Peter. You know, he saw a change in her instead of instead of nagging and and, you know, always criticizing him, you know, and and, and fa finding out that, you know, he's a scoundrel. You know, he he saw a different a different person. Mm -hmm. We recently just had a, a lady who uh, dedicated her life to the Lord and was baptized. And her husband is very antagonistic toward the faith and toward her newfound um, faith and church. Mm -hmm. And so she just said, I just don't know if this is going to work. And I said, oh. And so we went to that scripture that talks about how that um, if you can stay with your spouse, your unbelieving spouse, perhaps by your own life you can win them. And she said, oh, that just seems like so much work. I said, well, really, it's not about you being responsible for winning his soul as much. It's about you allowing the Holy Spirit to flow through you and so transform your life that he's like, I want that. Mm -hmm. And so yeah. really and truly, we have to stop and think to ourselves, when we have a marriage, it's actually, in a sense, a ministry. It's your primary ministry. I have the privilege of ministering to my husband. Oh, now, she, sometimes, and, and she most of the time she treats me like a king, <laughs> and most of the time I treat her like a queen. I would say he treats me like a queen, probably more than I treat him well, like a I king. Well, I don't know about that. In fact, I was thinking to myself this week: if every man were like my husband, there would be no divorce. Well, honey, you're just. Sweet. I think so. Biased, <laughs> Even though there's times I, yep, uh -huh, I do right. think so. Right. Okay, <laughs> prioritizing the most important things. Um, comment on that sweetheart don't blame well I think as time goes on in our relationships sometimes we become really overwhelmed and burdened just with life life can be hard you know the daily grind the daily uh, march that we go through in life and so if I want to there's plenty of things that I can find to blame my husband for I can nitpick him. I can pick him apart. Especially I can I'm not find picking up my clothes. When yes, I yes, that's true. Yeah. Amen. Preach it uh, anyway. Uh, so yeah. that I can definitely uh, find things to start annoying and irritating, and I can start criticizing him, or I can choose to build him up. I really have a choice. Now, does that mean I ignore the fact that he needs to pick up his clothes? No, but there's a way in which to do it that I can be building him up and ministering to him. In, in a way that can bring 
harmony, not only into our relationship, but into our home. So it starts in our minds. You know, that's really where everything starts, is in our heart, people would say, or your mind. What is it you think? Do you think things like that? Oh, there he goes again. What does he think I am? The servant? The maid? Like, I have extra time. You know what I mean? Those conversations you start having in your mind, and pretty soon that attitude and those words come out. So it starts there, whereas maybe saying, honey, it seems like whenever I come in, there's always these little piles of things I need to pick up if I want people to come in and I don't need to feel embarrassed. Could you help me pick these up? And then it's very helpful. So just those kinds of things. Now that may seem simple, but do you understand that it truly is the simple small things that make up the large experience in our relationship? So making sure we're not blaming There's plenty of opportunity for me to blame him and vice versa. But that's really not going to bring harmony and the intimacy that I desire in our relationship. So we'll talk about the next one. And and this has to do with habits. We are all creatures of habit. And a lot of times, and I've seen this over and over again, where we have developed a habit where we can't seem to say something positive to our spouse. We've gotten into a habit where it just automatically kind of comes out just sarcastic or maybe a little negative and it's just a habit you don't really you didn't really mean that habit to develop and get a hold of you but it but it did and just like you speak negative to each other you can also learn to speak positive Mm -hmm. amen Mm -hmm. so again it's managing our thoughts and and recognizing that criticism really does hurt It can really hurt, especially if words of affirmation, your love language, and all your spouse ever does is criticize you. Pretty soon it can just wear you down and you can feel like that you're just not what they really want. And then you're more apt to be tempted by someone in the workplace or someone you get to know who thinks you're wonderful. And it's like, why didn't I marry someone who thought I was wonderful? How did I marry this person? Mm-hmm. So negativity can really beat a person down. And it can be the same with children, right? It's very important that we're positive in our words. And I'm amazed at how much the Lord is positive toward us in the word. I'm amazed, especially the older I get and the more I learn about my own wicked self. I'm amazed that he says things like this. Tammy, I love you with an everlasting love. Therefore, loving kindness have I drawn you. I didn't draw you, Tammy, with criticism or pointing out your faults, even though we have to talk about those sometimes. I drew you with love. So I think our Savior is calling us to be like him in our relationships. The other thing is our positivity ratio. If, if you do need to criticize your spouse because, you know, they're being slobbish or they're not getting things done like you would like and you, and you, you have to give a negative to them, they can handle it if they've had three or four positives before that, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But if that's all they ever hear is, ne- you know, negative thinking and, you know, negative complaining, um, you know, they may not want to come home. Mm-hmm. I always enjoy coming home, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, but if all I ever heard was, well, you don't do anything right. Are you just like, your, you're just like your father or whatever. You know, I might not want to come home, you know? Right. Yeah. So our ratio is really important. Uh, and I think probably most of us are very much aware of the, of the um, psychology and the studies that have been done about how important it is to build each other up, children and otherwise, in our relationships and make sure that we have a much higher ratio of positive communication than negative communication. 
Whose side are you on? Zig Ziglar said, many marriages would be better if the husband and the wife clearly understood that they are on the same side. Right. Yeah, so true. So stop and think for a minute. When you think about your relationship and how you're, the voices in your head, you know, those conversations that are always running through your head, are those conversations more um, us and we and, and as a unit and as a unified best friend and partner in life? Or are your thoughts more about he and I or she and me being very different? Think about that. Have you gotten in the habit of there being sort of a division, you know, sort of like there's a line drawn in the house and that's his and that's mine or vice versa. So think about your thought patterns and the way that you describe your own, your relationship in your own head. Does it tend to be a d divisive or do you see yourselves as a united front? Again, I believe with all my heart that most of the battle in our relationships begins in our mind. How are we thinking? How are we tending to uh, imagine or define the other person? How do I see our relationship? Do I see it as a together, we're pulling together, we're working on things? Or do I see it as I'm protecting myself and my real estate and he's protecting his self and his real estate. I tell you, the best way to think of marriage is just go into it that um, I, I want to serve her. She, she, she loves to serve me. Sometimes we go to Ephesians 5 and we, we read that scripture that says, you know, uh, wives submit to your own husbands, you know. But if you read up a verse or two before that, it says um, submit one to another also. So, my wife loves to serve me because she knows I'll, I will go out of my way to try to make her load a lot lighter. Sometimes she has a hard week because she has to, she's a nurse and she has to deal with complaints at the hospital. And she says, sometimes she says, honey, I'm, I'm not used to getting cussed out, you know. It's hard. She says, when that, a few weeks ago, she said, I'm going to be ready for the time of trouble. She said, I've already gone through a little of it, you know, with these complaints. You know? <laughs> and so, so that, that's hard on her. So she needs me to comfort her when somebody's been kind of rude. Now, she doesn't always take it personally. You know, you try not to. Sometimes you can't really help it, right? Sometimes, you know, I'll get these phone calls because I am the grievance department and I investigate any kind of care or concerns patients might have. So sometimes people describe me in the most colorful, amazingly, yeah. almost poetic language, yeah. only at about 10 decibels or 50 or however that is measured. Um, and I just, I'm shocked at how creative people can be in their description. But I try to remember that when their jugular vein is sticking out, they're just intensely angry and out of control. It is absolutely a form of suffering. Wouldn't you agree? To be angry and out of control is a terrible thing. You look back on yourself and feel so foolish or so ashamed, right? And so it helps me. And, and I, I'm glad you brought that up because I think in our relationship as well, you know, just last night, honey, we were having a conversation and I realized quickly it was annoying me because it's something that the Lord is calling me to do that I don't want to do. And my husband was kind of reminding me about it. And I said, let's not discuss it at 11 o'clock at night. I think it's really good to recognize when's a good time to talk about things that might have high emotions, strong opinions, those kinds of things. And so as we navigate life together, it's good to be sensitive to each other. If I'm very tired or not feeling good, 
he needs to be especially gentle and patient and vice versa, right? Well, so it's being sensitive. You know, I think one of the reasons why I love my wife so much is because there's been times where I've been really down, maybe got beat up, you know, emotionally, and she has been there for me to pick me up, to help me. And honey, we're going to get through this together. And that really encouraged me. And so when she's down, I'm there for her. Amen. We're supposed to be helpmates to one another, right? Mm-hmm. right. And uh, uh, so I, I do. I try to treat my wife like a queen. And, and she, she treats me like a king. And that's the, that's the way it ought to be. Amen. So, and I just want to say one more thing on whose side you're on. There's no way that we could be that for each other if we weren't on the same side. And I, we don't want to stand, as you, as you go through this week, if you hang out with us this week, we're very transparent. We're not going to stand up here and act like we have the perfect marriage. We believe we have one in a million. But you know, it's because the Lord has blessed us to work hard, to understand each other, and to also pray to not be self-centered so that we can think of the other person's good and health. Okay, you have two choices in life. Um, Darlene Shack said, when I am frustrated with my husband and I feel like giving up on us, I have two choices. Number one, I can choose to love and work on my marriage. Or number two, I can choose to love and work on my marriage. <laughs> Amen? Yep. That's right. Those are the two choices. And okay. I think our point in that is this, is you have an escape route, and we'll be talking about it a little bit later on a slide. But if you're kind of half in and half out, you're going to find that you won't have success because emotionally you'll be divided. Emotionally you'll be holding out on your spouse because you've been hurt maybe in the past, or maybe they've hurt you and you don't want to be hurt again. But I'm going to tell you something, and this is the truth. It's better to love and be hurt than to never have loved. It really is better. And I find putting it all out there, I have been just so blessed rather than trying to hold some close to my heart in order to protect myself. And we'll talk a little bit as we go on this week about what that looks like. All right, we talked about work on my marriage or work on my Okay. Okay, prioritizing the most important things. Advice only from those who love you both. In other words, sometimes we're going through a struggle and we get our girlfriends on our side and they say, why don't you just leave that jerk, you know? Well, that, that's not going to help your marriage to listen to your girlfriends who may be giving or you... Or boyfriends. Or boyfriends who are giving you... Uh, not so good advice. But if you take advice from someone who loves you both, maybe your pastor, I know your pastor loves you both. Amen. So, you better. That's right. Your pastor would be a, a, a good person. But you know, I have to say, my friend Margaret, I really love her. Yeah. I could tell her anything. True. There have been times I've gone to her and said, Margaret, you know, I got to tell you about Patrick. Uh-huh. And she's like, I'm with you. And I've come home and said, and Margaret agrees with me. So I've done it before. You know, it's just really easy, especially because men and women think differently. Sometimes it's easy to get your friends on your side and say, don't you agree with me? And then to hold that. But it's really important. And I have found this true. I have a sister, my baby sister, Angel, and I are so close. And we can share anything. And she has said to me before, you know, Tammy, I would not share some of these things I share with you in my marriage if it weren't for the fact that I know you love my husband. 
So it's very powerful. You want someone who loves you both, somebody who's not going to give you uh, poison. Because you know what? It's it, bitterness, unforgiveness, anger. It's really like drinking poison and hoping the other person dies, if you think yeah. about it. Yeah. So it's very, very important that you don't heap to yourselves those who are giving you advice that actually make your soul have more iron in it toward Do your spouse. Dr. Laura Schlesinger, she's not on the radio anymore, but she seemed to always be for the guy because most of the books are kind of for the w w women, you know, seems like. And so some of the women would complain on her radio program, you know, to Dr. Laura, and she would say, well, you told me all the negative things. Tell me some of the positive things. Does he work? Well, yeah. Does he bring home a good income? Yeah. Is he a good father to the children? Well, yeah. You know, well, they don't, don't bring that up, you know, just bring up some of the other negativity. And, and so she would chastise the ladies pretty good. You know? Did you like that? Yeah, I liked it. Okay, yeah. just get you. <laughs> I do find, too, early in our relationship, a lot more things annoyed me. And, and maybe him, too, I don't know, but I can speak for me. I tended to major in the minors a little bit more. I think in our relationship, as we've grown closer together, I appreciate the more important things and tend to overlook the minor things. So I do find that that is a journey that we go on in life. Sure. Okay. Um, we already talked we about talked that. We talked about that. You know, we, yeah. we try to get people around us that, that agree with us instead of, instead of finding someone that would be neutral and loves you both and will tell you the honest truth. <laughs> you know, when people mm -hmm. come to me and they say, did you know so-and-so, they, they, they broke up, and did you know that he was a scoundrel? And, and, and she's totally innocent. And I, not too long ago, I told this pastor because he was telling me some scandalous thing. And I said, wait a minute. I said, hold on. I said, you know as well as I do that there's probably truth on this side and truth on this side, but probably the truth is, the real truth is probably somewhere in the middle, <laughs> right? So I don't want to hear it, you know, because I wasn't there and I don't know anything about it. So you need somebody that, that loves you both and say, hey, you both made some mistakes. And the problem is, if, if he's made 75% of the mistakes and you've made only 25%, we still have both made mistakes, right? Well, and we still have an opportunity. There's an opportunity to take that 25% by God's grace mm -hmm. and have him make a big difference. But the yeah. other thing about... Uh, my friends agreeing with me is that I don't know about you, but when I was younger, I loved to surround myself with people who thought I was wonderful. Anybody here? <laughs> I like those friends who think I'm talented and wonderful and beautiful and any other adjective I can come up with. But you know, as I get older, I really appreciate an honest friend. One who will tell me, you know, Tammy, you know, I think, I think really there's some place here, there's room here for some improvement. Somebody who loves you can tell you about anything, right? Same with my kids. Don't you dare discipline my children unless you love them. But if you love them, you can. Right, Mrs. Qualls? If you love them, you can. <laughs> I wish uh, my son's teacher was here. She, she definitely okay. had to do that. All right, sweetheart, recognize sabotage. Well, this is the deal. Do we all believe that there are two institutions in the Bible that are extremely important to God? And what are those? Marriage and the Sabbath, that's right. So wouldn't it stand to reason that Satan is looking for any, any avenue to sabotage those relationships mm -hmm. and absolutely to take us down? 
especially if we think about how that God is reflected in both a male and a female, man and woman, created him, them, to reflect his character. And so the family unit and seeing a happy, healthy family is a wonderful, beautiful expression to the world about who God is. So be aware of sabotage. And again, I want to challenge you to think about your thoughts because that's when it starts. Think about what are you thinking? What are you dwelling on? What are you allowing yourself to get derailed on in your thoughts that can separate in your relationship? So make sure, and also make sure that you're not sabotaging your relationship by not taking care of your health, by not getting enough sleep, and also by not spending time with Jesus so that you can be that 100% sweet person that you want to be. So watch out. We don't have to be afraid of Satan. I'm way more afraid of me than I am him. Trust me. Satan was just a created being. We already know his future. He's going to be ashes, right? So that, he doesn't scare me too much, even though he's bigger and stronger and he has a lot more, you know, he's smarter than me. He doesn't scare me so much. I scare me because I can start down a, a you know, a road of thought that can actually derail what I want for my relationship. So I just want to challenge you, if you've gone through any depression recovery series with Dr. Neil Nedley, there's a lot of wonderful principles in there that really can relate to any relationship, and that is your thoughts becomes your feelings, your feelings become your emotions, and your emotions, usually out of that come words and things that you wish you hadn't said. Is what I'm about to say helpful? Uh, I, I think of that one story, honey. Um, you know, women, we can, you can build your guy up or you can tear your guy down. This was, this was back probably in the 1930s, 1940s, when things were, things were getting, they were kind of tough. And, and uh, this couple, they were together, but he was struggling and, and holding down a job. And one day it happened. The electricity the electric company came and turned the, the pulled the meter, cut the cut the power off. Now this this lady has a choice. She can um, when he comes home, she can put her hands on her hips and say, "Wow, wow, you're really a man." You know, here we are. Uh, you can't you can't even provide for the family. You can't even uh, pay the bills. My father would have never have let this happen. Now, what do you think it would do to that guy? You know, if she were to have done this, it, it, you know, it, he would have just devastated. It him. devastated him. So she realized he's in a very vulnerable situation. She can either, you know, build him up with about what she's going to say, or she can just let him have it. And I'd like to interject, honey, and give just a little bit more background. So this woman came from a family of influence mm -hmm. and affluence. She was not used to having to struggle financially. Mm -hmm. He was a very hard worker, but unfortunately, with the economy the way it was, the people that had been hired the last were the ones that were going first. They'd only been married about nine or ten months. And so he was pounding the pavement, trying so hard to find a job. And then here in the mid-afternoon, the electricity was cut off. Well, and I, you know, like this says here, a husband needs his wife to believe in him and cheer him on. So she decided to do this. So what happened is he came home from work and he noticed it's kind of dark. 
she, he walks in, he sees the, the candles are lit, and he said, she said, what's going on, honey? And she said, we're going to have a, a candlelit dinner tonight, candlelight dinner tonight. And so he thought, wow, this is awesome, special dinner, you know. And so he goes into the bathroom, flips on the switch, and then it dawns on him. The power company turned off the, the electricity. And he realized that his wife was making the best of it. And so when he comes to the table, his head is down. He feels like a failure and a loser. And she could have just devastated him. But instead, he go, she goes over and she puts her arms around him. She says, honey, we're going to get through this. You're a hard worker. We're going to get through it. And he felt a lot better. And he ate his meal. And he did. They, he went out later, found a job. But she could, have, she could have devastated him. Instead, she built him up, said, we're going to get through these hard times. I mean, every marriage has rocky, hard times. Satan will see to it. Right? And so we got to press together. We got to press together and say, babe, you know, honey, we're going to get through this. We're going to make it, you know. But if we're separated and in my mind, I'm always picking at him and looking at his faults and I'm disillusioned and thinking maybe I made a mistake in marrying him and he's doing the same about me. Then when things like that happens, we go for the jugular. So it really all starts with the little things and the little ways that we're either pulling together or pulling apart. And then when these big catastrophic or challenging times come into our lives, we will naturally come alongside one That's another. Right. Expression deepens impression. You know, we find that the more we express our love to one another during the day and the more we express our love to another as we go through life, that it really deepens our love for one another. So you cannot help but say kind and loving things to one another and not have that re react upon each other and on your own hearts. The more that I tell my husband that I love him, the more that I tell him how much I appreciate him and I specifically call out the things I appreciate, the more he is happy and I am happy and I feel even more loving toward him. So what do you think her love language is, everybody? Words of affirmation, <laughs> that's right. That's and, right. and then yeah, I love yeah. to sit close. What's my other one? <laughs> that's right, right, it's touch. Now mine is really not words or uh, touch so much, but mine is... Acts of service. Acts of service when, when she fixes my oatmeal just the way I like it, you know. You know, where it's kind of runny, you know. And she likes it real thick, you know, stick a fork in it and pick the whole thing up, you know. <laughs> and when she makes it just like that, just like, I feel, I just, it just fills my mm. tank up, you know. So. so it is true. It's so, so impression, expression deepens impression. Right. If you want to infuse your relationship, maybe it's gotten a little humdrum, you've been busy with the kids, or whatever, or you've let life get away and suddenly you're just really not as close as you wish. Instead of sitting across on the other side of the couch and thinking, you know, what happened to us? This is when we should be close. Think about, how can I draw us closer? And if you start expressing the things you appreciate, you will find that you'll come closer together. Amen. Prioritizing. Okay, here we go. Choose to forgive. Now, in any marriage, sooner or later, you're going to hurt each other. You know, I've hurt my wife before. She's hurt me. And um, uh, there have been times, I guess we should talk about this on we talk about how to fight fair and all of that. So we won't talk so much about this t t today. But one of the 
days that we're going to be speaking is how to fight fair, mm -hmm. what to do when you have a big nasty fight, and uh, choosing to forgive. And so with me, I just need some time to cool off a little bit. You know, sometimes uh, she likes to get, let's talk about it. Come on, honey, let's talk it all out. No, I mean, I just need to think about that. Maybe need to go pray about it a little bit. No, let's talk. No, I'm just going to cool off a little bit, you know. And so sometimes when I think about it, pray about it, there's been times where I've had to go, you know, they always give the, they always give the pastor. The you key. need to save that. Okay, all right. You're getting all ahead right, of right. yourself. All right. Okay. All right. Because <laughs> that's but a really good example for that is, for is. Wednesday. Okay, that's when right, we're going right. to talk about fighting. But we're going to talk about how to fight fair and how to pray hard. Okay. That's right. That's right. But I want to talk about forgiveness here. If I'm holding grudges yeah. toward ways that maybe he's hurt me in the past and vice versa, he's holding grudges against me. You know, you take those grudges, you take them into the shower, you take them to bed with you, you take them to work with you, they're always there. And then when the other person uh, hurts you again or says something that offends you, you bring them all back up. And that really is so corrosive to your marriage. The easiest way that I have found, and my husband has never hurt me as much as some maybe other people have hurt me, but the way that I have most been able to forgive is a couple of things. One is forgiveness is like an onion. It happens in layers. You make the choice to forgive, but then when that person's face rises up or you remember that situation that they've hurt you before, you have to keep choosing. And little by little it unwraps and you're able to get... It's not as easy as just asking forgive, say, Lord, I choose to forgive and then it's just gone. I wish it were that easy. But I find that it's a journey of forgiveness. And so I believe it starts with a choice. My husband choosing to forgive me when I've been insensitive or perhaps disrespected him and he felt cut to the quick and him choosing to forgive me, and then not throwing it up. Listen, if every time I knelt before my Father in heaven and asked him to forgive an egregious way in which I denied him, and he said, well, we need to talk about those other 15,000 million things you've done in the past, mm -hmm. I would give up. It would be so overwhelming. So I think, again, we find our example in the Bible and in looking at Jesus' life. It's actually Matthew 6. What does Jesus say in Matthew 6? That if you don't forgive somebody that's offended you, will your heavenly Father forgive you, yes or no? See, so, so therefore, even though you don't feel like forgiving, I don't feel like forgiving that. That person hurt me. My wife hurt me. My husband hurt me. You may not feel like forgiving, but you need to pray, Lord, please change my heart that I will my heart will be softened so that I will forgive because if I don't forgive the person that's hurt me how how is my heavenly father going to forgive me and when you do a study on that it isn't that God is like this all right all right you didn't forgive so you're not going to get forgiven the point of it really is if you do a deep study on forgiveness if you choose not to accept God's forgiveness for that person through you. Notice I said it's his because we don't manufacture it as humans very well. Then you will not receive God's forgiveness for you because you can't believe it. See, if you can't, through his grace, give the forgiveness, you won't be able to receive it from God. Do you see? 
Because it's a gift either way. It's a gift for God to help me to forgive you. Amen. And it's a gift for God to help me to believe that he forgives me. Amen. So it's a beautiful story of how it weaves together. So the first part is to say, Lord, give me the desire to forgive. I may not want to. There's times I do not want to. Right? Amen? Are y'all all the saints out there? Okay. Well, no keeping score. I mean, in every marriage... Someone has offended the other more than the other, mm -hmm. right? You right. Know? The and marriage so we, is morally, you know, your fault, not yeah. mine, right? Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes. <laughs> right. So sometimes. we can be that way. And we can keep score again. And I think we talked about that, you know, if we kept track of every wrong thing somebody did to us. And some of you tend to do that more than others. You know, we, we are born with different temperaments. Some of us are easier to forgive, but we struggle in other areas. And then there's other people who just can't help it. They have a memory like an elephant. They remember probably... The day they were conceived, I don't know. But, you know, I, I have a sister. She can remember everything from about two years old on. I just, I marvel. But it's not always a good thing. So don't keep score. Uh, no holding grudges. Uh, you hurt me 15 years ago, and I have not forgiven you. That's right. Or I couldn't trust you that one time, so you're untrustworthy. Yeah. You know, we're just black and white toward people. Yeah. Another thing that God can change in our hearts. And then the forgiveness factor, I don't know if you watched on the news, it was actually on the news a month ago, it was on NBC or CBS, one of the news, that they've actually done studies in the, um, uh, the medical, uh, now the journal escapes me, but anyway, the American Medical Journal on um, cardiology actually brought out that unforgiveness and bitterness is actually as egregious to your health as eating a very high-fat diet. So they're finding out that heart disease, diabetes, a lot of these conditions that we struggle with, that there's a huge psychological element to those. And another thing that Dr. Neil Nedley talked about is they've done triple and quadruple bypasses on people, and if they struggle with depression, their arteries tend to fill up in about four months, regardless of whether or not they even change their diet. So they're finding, and is it really surprising that our mental and spiritual, emotional and physical health are interrelated beautifully? So if we have unforgiveness and bitterness, it is literally physically damaging to us. So that's why God invites us to come and cast all of our cares upon him and that he'll help us with these issues. Um. One, one counselor stated, I, I love couples who fight in the waiting room as he's watching them, as they're waiting. He says at least they still care about each other. If one or both seem indifferent, my job is a lot harder. In other words, if, if, if you've come to the place in your marriage where I, I'm done, I, we have nothing in common, I don't even want to talk about it anymore, that's difficult. But if we're still fighting, there's hope. <laughs> there we go. So if any of you tend to have that issue, it's good. There's still passion in there. One other counselor said this. Sometimes I t I'll tell a couple, no sex until the next session. Don't touch each other, period. What I'm really hoping is that they will fail and feel a sense of unity from their mutual rebellion. <laughs> <laughs>
All right. All right. And you know, we found that loving is a lot more fun than fighting. That's right. I don't know about you. <laughs> All right. So prioritizing on with prioritizing some of the most amazing or important things. And again, if you'll notice the trend of what we're sharing today is how to divorce-proof your marriage. And I put this little picture up here. It says, I just want you to share in my secrets and not run away. Anybody sometimes have secrets? In my relationship and in my life, it isn't that I'm afraid my husband will run away, but what if he doesn't understand? So go ahead, honey, and put the, the first thing up there. So no secrets in the second one. Um, I remember when Pat and I had been married about 10 years. I, I remember this so vividly. I know the house we lived in, honey. I know I just can remember this so well. That one day, as I was just going about taking care of my babies and doing my job, I was thinking about our relationship, and I realized that I had a couple of really good girlfriends that I shared things with, things that I didn't necessarily share with him. They weren't really big and major. They were just kind of incidental things that interested me or about myself that I had never really shared with him. And I thought, well, why is that? Well, it's because I don't think he'd understand. He's a guy. He probably would think maybe it was foolish. Maybe he'd be tempted to chuckle or laugh at me or say, really, what? What are you thinking? What's that about? And, and I realized that there were just some little things, again, inconsequential as far as I was thinking to our relationship, that I just chose not to share with him because I didn't think he understood. But then I thought to myself, you know, it's been 10 years and we walked together. How long, how many years will it take as I continue to maybe share some things with my girlfriends that I don't share with him, before that there's a lot about me he, might, he doesn't really know. And then it can make me not feel as close. So I remember when he came home that night, I said to him, you know, Patrick, I got to thinking a lot about our relationship. And, you know, there's some things I share with my girlfriends, with Jill and with, and with Jenny, that I don't necessarily share with you. And he said, oh, really? And, he said, and I said, yes, I, I guess I just think you might think I'm funny or you might kind of laugh at me or you might not understand. And he said, he was really curious then. I had his attention. He said, well, try me. Oh, I wish I could share with you. I would, too, if I could remember what they were. That would be even more interesting, but I don't. But it was some incidental thing, and so I tried him. I was a little tentative, but I said, well, like I might share that I sometimes have this this fantasy or this dream of, of maybe someday doing this or that. And he's like, he listened to me very well. And when I was done, he said, you know, Tammy, I don't think we're that much different because I can totally relate to that. Sometimes I have these dreams about how if we did this or if we did that. And all of a sudden I realized that there was so much more that we could collaborate about than I had given him uh, and given us the opportunity. And, you know, from then on, I made it a point to tell him every little funny and weird or silly thing. And we have, it's so much fun to have your spouse as your best friend, to be able to tell them everything. And they don't, at least he doesn't cock his eyebrow in front of me, but <laughs> meaning that we may be very different, but we appreciate those differences now, we don't, and share. Listen, we don't do everything together. I, I wasn't raised a Christian. I wasn't raised Seventh-day Adventist. So I grew up playing a lot of sports. And so uh, my wife grew up in the church. She didn't play any sports. Well, know, so. I did. Remember you asked me if I was into any sports, and I said yes. Well, yeah, you did say you were the badminton queen or something. Of the yeah, school, yeah, and yeah, he yeah. laughed. Yeah, he laugh did laugh at me on that one. But, uh, so, so, you know, I, I have my freedoms. I do my thing. She does her thing, with, you know, and I'm fine with it, you know. 
Uh, but, but we have a lot in common in that we, we love, like on Sunday mornings, I'll get up and she'll fix breakfast and I'll read to her and we'll pray together. And uh, we like to do things like that together. We like to ride bikes together or walk together. And so we enjoy each other's presence, but especially when we're doing things uh, in a spiritual nature because mm -hmm. she doesn't play ball. Uh, so she has her hobbies. I have my hobbies. And so that's fine. We, you don't have to do everything together. Right. You know? Right. But, but sharing those inmost things about who I am inside, what I'm thinking, what I might be struggling with, just like, I mean, I'm serious. There are things that he does so naturally that do not appeal to me at all. I mean, he just naturally loves to do some things that are very lovely and good. And he'll say, oh, yeah, come over. Yeah, spend the year with us. I'm like, go away. You know, I mean, not really. But I mean, he would invite them, poor, the maimed, and the lame into our home, mm -hmm. and they could live there. And I'm more like, oh, I got to have my privacy. So, but there are times that I can say to him, honey, I'm really struggling in this area, an area he doesn't struggle in. And he'll say, honey, I'll pray for you. I will. And, and it's wonderful when you have that closeness where you can be real. And even though the other person doesn't struggle with that particular weakness, you can come alongside well, each other. The struggles, the struggles she has are not mine. The struggle, my struggles are not her struggles. So it's, it's, it's mutual. Yeah. Okay, how might this undermine trust? So if, if I continue down this road where I'm keeping part of myself a secret from him or I'm not sharing... Um, and I, and I want to pause there and say this. Um, sometimes in our church, because um, we, we uh, are in pastoral ministry, I'll have friends who will come with to me and per share very personal things, and they don't want me to tell him, and vice versa. And we've made a pact with each other. We don't share those kinds of things. If they don't have to do with us as a couple, we don't share them. Because, you know, really and truly, that's how it should be. If men come and confide in him, he's not going to tell me their stuff. And vice versa. So I'm not I'm not talking about that when I think about when I talk about being transparency and sharing. But as we walk together and I'm sharing less and less or keeping some things from him, after a while when he might find out something or I find out something, it tends to undermine trust. It's like, wait, I thought I knew you. Or why wouldn't you tell me that? Or why did you keep that from me? I recall I've heard people say this. You know what? My husband hates it because I, you know, I love to buy clothes. So what I do, this lady said, is she said, I hide the dress or the skirt or the slacks in my closet. And then I wait about a month and bring it out. And then he's like, did you, is that new? No, no, I've had this forever. Those kinds of games. That's dishonest. Well, I tried that one time with a motorcycle, but it didn't work. <laughs> understand why he was taking all the guys out to the garage. And I went out there and just inspect, and under one of our children's big plastic swimming pools, it, I discovered a big red oh, it was a motorcycle. Nice Honda Shadow. It was beautiful. Yeah, that's what I'm talking <laughs> right, about. Yeah. What does it look like to be best friends? Okay, we've talked a little bit about this. It, you know, um, the book of Ecclesiastes talks about uh, a cord of three strands is very difficult to be broken. And that three strands is us mm -hmm. and God, right? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I think one of the reasons why we are best friends is because we enjoy, even though, you know, she doesn't play sports or anything, we enjoy spiritual things, right? Mm -hmm. We enjoy studying together and preaching together. And we love the family of God and uh uh, so we have a lot in common there. Mm -hmm. Whereas if, if, uh, 
if she was in the church and I was uh, off over at Joe's Bar and Grill doing other things that would hurt me, it would there would be a strain. Mm-hmm. But because we have things in common, mm-hmm. especially the spiritual, we we just we're drawn to each other. The other thing, though, that makes best friends is you have to create safety. And we're going to be talking about that this week. Mm-hmm. One of our sessions is on making it safe. That's going to be the title. In fact, I should go over those titles before we end. But part of making it safe is if we're going to be best friends, I need to be share. I need to be able to share with him transparently and vice versa and not feel shocked or judged by the other person. So I can tell you, ladies, this. I give my husband a tent. I give him permission to define PMS. Oh, okay, well. Uh, Pat Milligan suffers. <laughs> so um, PMS. <laughs> so if I if I'm going through kind of an emotional time, when and usually he picks up on it before I do. Really, I mean I'll just just all I'm pensive. I'm just kind of on edge, and you know, and I don't even know what's going on. And he'll come up and say, "Well, he used to say when we first got married, I just hate this time of the month. I want to tell you now that's yeah, that, fighting that's, words. That's the wrong word. You just might as well have poured water on a cat. I yes. was rare, yeah. but he doesn't." doesn't do that anymore but if he can tell that I'm just getting it's and he's like yeah I think that's right I think man it's not a bad idea to keep track of your wife's cycle but anyway and he'll come up to me and say honey it's going to be okay really you're going to be okay it's getting close I think I think it might be getting close and he does it kindly he's not and I'm like oh it's almost a relief I'm like oh that's what's wrong with me I'm serious and I'm like oh Oh, thank you. Or there have been times I feel like, I don't know about you women, I'm not this r- real emotional person, but there are times I am unraveling. I can just feel it. There's probably, there's probably more fights during, you know, that time period. Uh-huh. You know, it's easier. And, and so we need to talk about uh, no exit strategies, especially during that time period. <laughs> that would be good. But sometimes I'll say to my husband, will you pray for me? I just feel like I'm unraveling. Life is just, and he will come in. I'll be sitting in a chair. We'll kneel down. He'll kneel around me, kneel behind me and put his arms around me and just pray over me. I tell you, I get up from there. There is something to this priest of the home. God is able to infuse through our husbands, through the priest of the home, to us a beautiful sense of blessing. And that has been a great blessing to me. No exit strategy, meaning... Don't ever even bring up the D word, okay? Just don't bring up the D word. That's not an option. Right. That's not an exit strategy. We're, we're going to work on our marriage. Uh-huh. And we're going to end, actually, with a, a little quote that we handed uh-huh. out to you. There is no situation That's that is getting, so bad. That's what we're getting ready to talk That's about. Right. It's never too late. Uh, I've known, being a minister for several years, 30-something years, I've known situations where... Uh, the wife was praying for her husband for 30 years, and finally, he, he, you know, he, he gets baptized, comes into the church. It's never too late. Amen? Uh-huh. And never it's too never late. too late for our relationships. Right. We can have gotten into bad habits where we're blaming and judging and angry, and, and God can just create healing where you can look back and say, I never would have dreamed. That's right. We've seen that. So our question to you today is, are you all in? In your relationship, wherever you find yourself, are you in 100%? Are you stuck or are you in? Now, I want you all to pick up your little card here. Um, Jeremiah 33.3. 3. Can somebody quote Jeremiah 33.3? 3? It, it says something about, is there anything too hard for the Lord? 
Is there anything too hard for him? No, no. And this is a beautiful thought from uh, the Spirit of Prophecy that says prayer is the answer to every problem in life. Even marriage. Do you think God loves marriage? He instituted it. God is about family. You know, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's a family. He loves family. So if, if, if God loves family, Satan hates it. So prayer is the answer to every problem in life. It puts us in tune with divine wisdom, which knows how to adjust everything perfectly. So often we do not pray in certain situations because from our standpoint, the outlook is hopeless. Sometimes people say, my marriage is hopeless. But, let's read on. But nothing is impossible with God. Let's say it together. But, but nothing, nothing is impossible, impossible with God. God. Nothing is so entangled that it cannot be remedied, even your marriage. No human relationship is so strained for God to bring about reconciliation and understanding. There's no habit so deep-rooted that it cannot be overcome. No one is so ill that it cannot be healed. No mind is so dull that it cannot be made brilliant. Whatever we need, if we trust God, He will supply it. And you don't have to pray, Lord, if it be your will, help my marriage. That's always God's will. You know, we just need to, we just need to stand on the promises of God, claim the promises of God. We'll see miracles happen. God will supply it. If anything is causing worry or anxiety, let us stop rehearsing uh, the difficulty and trust God for healing, love, and power. Don't you like this little statement? I don't even know where I found it, but I thought, wow, that you, is powerful. Your and wife shared it with you. I, I got it actually at a women's retreat. You did? I did. See, most of these women have probably already heard this. I don't know, but you can't but hear anyway, it enough. You can't get too much of this. That's right. So, so God, God is... He's the, the God of restoration. And every marriage has bumps in the road. Every marriage has struggles. But as we, as we learn, as we get the tools of, of the backpack of life, of, of God's tools, He helps us to sail safely mm -hmm. home. Even the little things. You know, I remember when Pat and I were first married, I really was looking forward to holding hands and walking together and kissing one another and I'd saved all that for my husband. Mm -hmm. Well, when we first got married, he didn't really like to hold hands. I think he thought it was kind of like puppy love. He'd walk down the street and he'd put his arm around me, but I didn't want him to do that. I wanted to hold hands. And I'd say, hold my hand. He'd say, oh, no, I'll put my arm around you. <laughs> Bothered me. I, no, you I wanted to hug, honey. I wanted, I wanted to, to hold your hand. No. Yeah. yeah. So, so I prayed. <laughs> I said, Lord, could you please, you know, I tried nagging. I tried, uh, yeah. I said, Lord, could you just impress my husband when we walked down the street to hold my hand? Mm -hmm. It wasn't three days later. We're walking down the street and he yeah. took my hand. Yeah, I think we should pray more and nag less. That's right. That's and right. so we wanted to, you know, when it comes to a revival, when you have a revival, don't you think there's some questions involved? There are. So I want to ask, will you recommit to your relationship today? Is that your desire it's your desire to recommit. Will you choose to let go of being right? I don't know about you, but I like to do be right. How about you, know, you honey? Well, I, this is so true that I find that I, I, I do my greatest sinning when I'm right. <laughs> do you know what I'm trying to say? In other words, you can be, 
you can be uh, kind of a little bit self-righteous because you know you're right and it kind of comes across and then, then it becomes wrong because you do it out of the wrong spirit. That's you know right. What I mean? That's right. And then will you choose to invite God into every part of your relationship? Think of your soul as a house and there's lots of rooms in that house. And I don't know about you, but there's times I've made several rooms off limit to God. You know? But God is saying, invite me in everywhere. Don't be afraid. Every place I go, I make it better. And then the other thing is, will you choose to love? I tell you, I, every day I ask God to increase my capacity to love and to receive love. Really what I'm praying is that he'll increase my capacity to receive him. Because God is not about love. He is love. So, so will we choose to love? That's what we want. And also... Will you choose to be all in? And also, also um, we want uh, to remember the questions and answers. Now, tomorrow, at the same time, 2 o'clock, we want you to put your questions in the little box back there for tomorrow, okay? There's pieces of paper and pen. Mm-hmm. Write anything you want. Anything. Anything you say, oh, I wish you'd answer this question, or I wish you'd talk about this. This is where we're really struggling. You can put it anonymous, just write the question, and we're going to take a period of time every day the rest of the week to go over all of those questions. questions. We want this to be your seminar, dealing with your agenda, not our agenda, okay? So before we close today, there might be something that we've said that you would like to elaborate on or comment on or ask a question about. So if anybody has a question you'd like to address from the floor, who has the microphone back there? Well, even that, we can repeat the question. I don't know if we have a ton of time. Oh, we have time. We have 10 minutes. Okay. Yeah. So anybody have any questions or any comments that you'd like to uh, share before we we close? Just raise your hand. Here's one. Okay. I've been married 59 years last Wednesday. And my husband, I prayed and prayed and prayed since I've become a Seventh-day Adventist. And um, I can't seem to get him into the church. And he's drinking um, quite severely. And I don't know what to do after 59 years of marriage. I think we all need to pray for your husband. Okay. And pray that, that, uh, that God will just set him free. And then the good news is, and you probably already know this, but none of us can get anyone into the church. But if we live and love it, if we live it and love the person, then the Holy Spirit can do the work. And I have to tell you, I've had to learn with our adult children, I tend to want to be their Holy Spirit. In fact, I love to. And the Lord has told me that so long as I'm in his place, he has a hard time talking to them. So I've learned a little bit by little bit to back out of that Holy Spirit space and to just love them and pray for them and see what God is doing for them. And just let your light shine and cook him a German chocolate cake sometime. Especially. There we go. But we're gonna, we're, when we close with prayer, we're going to remember him today, okay? okay. All right. We're going to remember him. All right. Is there anybody else that has a comment? Um, any thoughts? Right here. Uh, this is hard for me to ask, but I, it's on my mind. Um, what if you married outside of the will of God? Not necessarily the wrong person, but outside of the will of God, you knowingly did that. 
Um, how can God fix that? Well, you know what comes to my mind is Romans 8.28. Um, and by the way, it's, if you want to dissect it in the Hebrew, in the original language, it doesn't say all things work together for good. It says, and God takes all things and works them out together for the good of those who love them. So I would say to you that God foreknew our choices, yours and mine. The good ones we make and the not so good ones. Maybe not his original plan, but that absolutely he has a plan for your wonderful and healthy marriage. He does. The other thing I would say is there's another beautiful quote in Adventist Home that says God puts people together for the saving of each other. And I love it because it's not about you saving him. You saving him, you saving him. It's about you loving him and through that walk and as you adjust and, and the Lord infuses love into your lives for your spouses, that you are saved. So you are as needing of this journey as they are. So I believe in supernatural grace and that because you are together, God has a beautiful plan. And I would say to you, sister, dispel with those ideas of this wasn't meant to be right in the first place, therefore I have to settle for second best. I would say, shoot for the stars and God will give you even higher than that. Amen. Amen. Anybody else? Yes, right here. What if it's not about your marriage, but if you have um, some friends' marriage, or I have several marriages that are not doing good and not healthy, and I can see little parts of both, mm -hmm. but I'm hurting in the middle. Yeah. Mm. yeah. How do you um, you're trying. You're trying to encourage. help. You're trying to help both of them, aren't you? Yes. Well, it's a tricky situation that you're in because let's pretend it's you and I, and I'm coming to you about my husband, and you see where I could maybe make some change myself. But it's safer if you side with me about the ways that he's not doing well. Um, it can be challenging. I will say that um, by God's grace, I would number one pray that you're not in the middle. That uh, because that can be tricky. But the other thing is just to say to your friend, I love you and I want to be honest with you. And I see some opportunity. I always like to put things in positives. I see some faults on your side. No, you, I see some opportunity where perhaps you could work on this area and that might inspire him. And so I believe we're all in a school like this sister over here who maybe feels she married out of God's will. She may have married out of God's will back there somewhere, but now she's in the will of God because he has a plan for her. And I would say the same for this, that I would pray to make sure you're not in the middle and number two, just direct this person to God. And, and if I'm married to an, unbel an unbeliever or someone who is an unhealthy person, God can help me to have the wisdom to know how to serve them. Now, I do not believe in staying in a, an abusive situation where people are being beaten and those kinds of things, I think. But I encourage people to seek professional help. And um, I never, ever want to give the message that there's no hope. I had a couple one time, similar to your situation, I had a couple. They said, Pastor Pat, please, please come. We're in a crisis. As I was driving there, I said, Lord, I don't have any wisdom for the, this couple. I'm just a human being. I don't know what to do. And God revealed it to me what to do. 
It's so amazing. God spoke to my little brain, you know? And I mean, it was so clear. And so when I got there, and this is what maybe, what maybe you can do, is the couple, they were, they were kind of at it with each other. And so I gave, this is what God told me to do. He says, give one of them a piece of paper, give the other one a piece of paper and a pen. And, and he told me, you ask him, what are, what are five things that you need from your wife? And then I turned to her and I said, you write down five things that you need from, for, from your husband. And so they did. They wrote the five things down. And now, if they're willing, if they're willing to negotiate and work together, and if they really want to build the marriage up, you know, they will, they will want to... Well, you, you mean I'm not, I'm not being very communicative? I'm not talking to you very much? Yeah, you're not talking to me. So that's one of the things that you may have written the, down. So, and so then they shared their list they and did. they made a commitment to work on those five things. Yeah. And then they prayed together. Yeah. Whereas in this situation, perhaps with your friend, you could pray with him and say, yeah. what are five things maybe your spouse needs from you yeah. that you could focus on by God's grace? Yeah. Just an idea. Yeah. Is that helpful? Yes, that helped a lot. One more part to that. If one of them has been unfaithful, mm -hmm. um, I mean, the only thing I know, and I think you start to touch about it, is to encourage him to say, what does God want you to do? Because mm -hmm. that forgiveness part, like you said, it's very dangerous if you don't forgive, mm -hmm. that you can be hardened. And I know our churches recognize that to say, I mean, we've heard that you have a right mm -hmm. if there's been a... Mm -hmm. There's the letter of the law. Right. Sure. But, but this is the thing that I've, we've challenged couples before in this situation. We've said, what is your choice? Do you choose to stay with this person? And generally they're there in our home because they have chosen to stay. And then we say, okay, what are the steps or what is the journey of forgiveness we want to take? Because it is unfair to say, yes, I'm going to stay, but I'm not going to forgive. Yeah. I'm going to remind you every day and every time. Yeah. And I, can, I have a free pass to do anything to you I want pretty much now because you've done this egregious thing. So we can hold each other captive. So if they're going to stay, then to me that means also a commitment to go on a they, journey of forgiveness. Like, like she said earlier, that couple, they need a godly spiritual counselor mm -hmm. to help them. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? They really yeah. do. And if they're willing to do it, then they can be helped. But if one says... No, I'm not interested. It's hard to help that person. That's right. You know? Yeah. Yeah, I would really encourage um, a third party. Well, I can see our time is up. What's our subject tomorrow, honey? So our subject tomorrow is... I don't have my little note. Oh, <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> Here it is. Our subject tomorrow is loving out loud, his needs, her needs, and meaningful expression. Okay. And then on Wednesday, safety first, the importance of integrity and how to fight fair. Thursday is best friends, I love you. And what does that look like compared to I respect you? And Friday, making love, intimacy at every age and every stage. Amen. And right. our dear sister, just give us your husband's first name. Yeah. What is it? Bill. Yeah. Bill, okay. All of us are going to agree together to pray for Bill and pray for this couple, okay? Mm -hmm. All right, two couples, okay? Pray let's, for let's an, all agree, an unspoken. Let's, an unspoken. Mm -hmm. Let's all agree together, all right? 
All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You, Lord, for the gift of marriage. Lord, we just thank You for Your love. We just pray You'll continue to work with us and bless each and every couple that's here. We pray especially for Bill. Please, Lord, touch his heart right now. Impress him that all these prayers that have gone up for him, that he will surrender fully to you and he will give his life to you, that you will take the alcohol from him, Father, and that you will set him free and deliver him, Lord. Please, Lord. And we just pray for this, this uh, couple that this sister is so concerned about. We pray that you will be the God of restoration to their marriage. And Father, I pray in Jesus' name that none of us within the hearing of my voice would leave this place without hope. That we would not be happy or content with mediocrity, but that we would experience all that you have for our marriages and our relationships. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.